You know, this, spirit, this uh, Holy Spirit uh, series that we be- began right after Easter has uh, had many high points. Uh, and I've been listening to the talks while I was away. And uh, we've, we've covered such things as adoption and, uh, and how God includes us in his heart and family. We've looked at the fruits of the Spirit, that, that God works his character within us. We've looked at the gifts of the Spirit and how they begin to function. Of course, there's more opportunities to, to learn about those at Essentials and elsewhere. But today I'm almost going back to the very first message that I brought, which is that our body, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us. And that's not just so that we have a nice, warm, fuzzy-wuzzy feeling, although he can do that too. It's so that we can be his people here on this earth. That we, the church, can be and bring his kingdom uh, to this earth. And I'm going to spend a bit of time teasing out uh, one or two of the issues and how we should respond to this current political crisis that we're in. Because actually, the truth is, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's my first screen, I believe, I believe or second screen. Nothing new under the sun. In fact, it was Jesus who, when he was exercising his ministry as a man on this earth, he was continually coming into conflict with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And he had very little truck or time with them. Uh, he, he was continually exasperated by them. And one of the reasons that he was exasperated with them was that they knew the law, they knew the rules very well. But what they spent a lot of time doing was working out how to, in our parlance, our colloquialism of, of today, working out how to play the system. God forbid that they break the rules, but they worked out ways of getting round them. And these became another set of rules and became very burdensome and onerous and difficult. And so he challenged that. It is simply not enough to mow the rules because it's the heart, it's the spirit, it's the intent behind it, the way we relate to and do business with one another and business with God that he sees. So it's not just about rule keeping. And uh, I, I must say this whole expenses row that we're experiencing now, I mean, I'm really playing catch up here. Well, almost. As many of you know, I've been on holiday with my wife, Fliss, in, in California. We've had an extended break because we've been celebrating the birth of my first grandson. I already have a granddaughter. And uh, as anyone who's been to the States will tell you, they are very insular when it comes to their news. And I find that frustrating because I'm a bit of a news junkie. And you just can't get any decent news. You know, it's always local news. It's always cats up trees and new fire engines. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking at, you know, the five o'clock news in San Luis Obispo, this lovely little uh, university town, actually, but still very insular. And I was watching the five o'clock news, and, yeah, it was cats up trees and new fire engines, when all of a sudden, lo and behold, there was an item from the UK and they said in the UK there is a great uproar about the, uh, the, the, the way the politicians use their expenses and there was dear old Douglas Hogg being chased down the street and being quizzed as to why he used public funds to clear his moat 
So it even got onto the five o'clock news in San Luis Obispo, California. And that was the first I heard of it. Samuel, my son, came and picked us up from the airport. And after the initial pleasantries and hours of flight, he said, have you heard about what's going on? And we had a bit of a conversation. So this week I've been playing a bit of catch-up. And it's very interesting, isn't it? Uh, well, it's appalling. <laughs> but I'm having to condense it. And, and I have written to my own uh, MP. I live just, Phyllis and I live, live just outside of St. Albans. Can't afford to live in St. Albans. Live just outside St. Albans. And written to Grant Shapps, our, our MP, about some of his expenses. And I've written to Anne Main, the St. Albans uh, MP. And... Uh, you know, we have worked with both Grant Shapps and more, uh, particularly with Anne Main. And uh, just so you know, you know, I've written to her and I've read a lot of what she's said over the last few weeks. And as you will also know, she's been uh, in the national press and on the national television trying to give an account for £42,000 of expenditure on a secondary home. And I have written to her and simply said... And, you know, dear Anne, this doesn't look good, whichever way you look at it. I think it, it, it's right to, to be honest about these things. And, in fact, a lot of us are very disappointed and rightfully angry about this. But I've also written to Anne and said, listen, you've probably got a whole posse of people baying at your heels now. And all I would say to you, if ever there's a time you want to just come and chat with one of our team here, we would be willing to do that. You see, the Word of God says that we should pray for our leaders. I, I wouldn't want to condone anything that she's done. I've, I've read it, and I may not have all the facts. I have as many facts as you have, but I've read her statements too on the Conservative Association's website. And things she said just two weeks ago doesn't help. It makes it look all the more bad that she is in the situation she is but she's not the only one but there is nothing new under the the sun and all too often little chattering Christianity as G.K. Chesterton called it is all too busy with its own thing and I think you know we are to be light to the world so we need to know how we're going to respond in all of this how are we going to work with this you know what's our position on this and so I'm going to read a, a story. It's the whole of chapter 5 of the book of Nehemiah. I'll take a, two or three minutes. And I want to read this story because, as I said, there's nothing new under the sun. So, Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, the men and wives, let me just tell you what's going on here. Nehemiah is, is an interesting character. He's actually a, an official in in a foreign government, he has the very responsible role. He's sort of a bit, he, he is a cupbearer to the, the king. And that was a very, very important role. He would be responsible for security and, 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 and had a, a very high position. Anyway, he was a Jew and heard that the walls around Jerusalem were in ruin. And God really laid it on his heart to do something about that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, you've got passions and things that God has laid on your heart to get involved in and do something about. Maybe the feed ministry, maybe money management, maybe just action, you know, just community. There's a number of ministries this church runs which have all been birthed out of, you know, somebody getting impacted by, by a sense that we ought to do something about this. Well, he had that sense about needing to do something and he asked for permission 
to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Well, he could have rightfully expected it to have been dismissed out of hand. But it was the right season, the right time. God was on the case and he was given permission to do that. So they come back and after a survey, they, they set about it. So he's rebuilding the walls. But suddenly it widens up into a bigger issue. Let me read the story. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons and, uh, are as good as theirs, yet we have had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So there's this great project rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But all of this is happening, this rebuilding is taking place in the context of Tough times. The credit isn't easy. The credit is hard to find. People's families are starving. And some of them have even had to resort to the the absolute last resort. They've sold their children into slavery. And I'm afraid in those days it was the girls that went first. But that's not the whole story. It goes on. Nehemiah says, verse 6, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. Okay, little learning leadership point for you managers, leaders, captains of industry, politicians, life group leaders, whoever. When you hear of an injustice... It is actually natural for something to rise up within you. The Spirit of God will will cause you to rise up because the the Spirit of God reacts against and and is proactively uh, acting against injustice. So Nehemiah, being the leader he was, he heard about this, this mortgaging of fields and people starving even as they were struggling to rebuild the wall, hold their families together, just try and keep bread on the table, the selling, God forbid, the selling of children into slavery. And, and he was very angry, but he didn't react. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. He pondered these things. I've always said that good leadership is for difficult times. Anyone can lead anything when it's going well. But God raises up leaders for difficult times. So those of you who have in any way, shape or form that mantle, remember Nehemiah. When faced with some outright outrage, (laughs) ponder first. Think before you act. Don't react You'll do more damage than good. Think first, pray first, then act. Nehemiah says this, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then then accused the nobles and the officials. Now this is new information which we didn't quite pick up in that first little bit. Actually, it was the political classes who were doing very well out of this. 
It wasn't some horrible foreign power. It was actually those who had wealth, influence, and power, Jews themselves, if you like, their own brothers in the nation, who were doing the exploiting. What's more, Nehemiah goes on. He says, I told them, you are exacting usury. That's you know, interest. That was a, a very, very big no-no within the community of, of Israel. You are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. So Nehemiah and his team, his crew, supposed to be building a wall, but he's getting involved in bigger things now. He, he hears this complaint. He hears that children are being sold into slavery to the Gentile nations around them. So he goes back and out of his own person, own money and the resources, he, he has, buys back as many as he can. That's, that's what he plans to do. Let's get the kids back first. But then he discovers, and it goes on to say... As far as possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you, you leaders, political classes, etc., you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. And they kept quiet. Because they could find nothing to say. What was happening was that they were discovering that as fast as they were buying them back, the leaders who had their troughs in the sn- their snouts in the trough were actually selling them to make a little money, a little profit, to play the system. Didn't break the rules, play the system. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid reproach of our gentle enemies? Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our gentle enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let exacting usury stop. Give them back to them immediately. Their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves and houses. And also the usury, the interest you're charging. The hundredth part of a money, grain, new wine and oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, Is in this way, may God shake out his house and possessions. Every man who does not keep this promise, so may such a man be shaken out and emptied. And the whole assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Now I'm going to stop there. I haven't got time to go on. But he actually goes on to say, You know... And he's writing his memoirs. He says, during the whole of the time that I was there, I decided that me and my my household would not claim any expenses. It was such an appalling abuse of authority and power that actually I I funded the ministry. I I did what I could. I, I... you know, wherever I was able. Now, I'm not recommending or saying that to you, but I'm just talking about the integrity of this man, Nehemiah. And at the end of it, there's this lovely little phrase. It's kind of a little winsome phrase where he says, verse 19, remember me with favor, O my God, for all I've done for these people. Just a little prayer for himself at the end. Keep me faithful and remember me, Lord God. Man, that is leadership with flipping bells on. Now, that's not what we're seeing at the moment. At least that's what I, in the last seven days since I've been back, that's not what, 
I've picked up. I'm only a pastor, what do I know? But it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And what can we do? You know, the, the, this is the age-old lament of the, the people of God. Psalm 11 verse 3 says this. You know, it says, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, it's so easy for, you know, good men and women like you and I to just wring our hands and it's another tax, it's another problem, it's another example of things breaking down. Oh my goodness, what can we do? There's nothing we can do. We're just the silent, you know, majority that hard done by and overtaxed and overworked and all the rest of it. Well, <laughs> it's probably true in terms of the prescription, you know. The, but, but what can we do? And actually, time and time again, the Word of God says there is something that we are to do. Now, Nehemiah was able to address particular issues, and I do think we have a right and a responsibility not to just shrug our shoulders and suck our teeth and tut, tut, tut. But I really believe, and it's a bit scary for some people, that with measure, without anger, we need to, having pondered and prayed, to actually challenge those in authority over us. To speak out, to ask questions. As I say, I wrote to Grant Shapps because there was some questions I had. And he wrote back a long letter within five hours, a long email, within five hours of me writing to him. And I am absolutely convinced that Grant Shapps, the MP for Will and Hatfield, is above board. There are others that we may be less convinced about. We need to, to, to speak out because it demonstrates that it matters to us. You see, the way we are to be seen is as salt and light. Salt and light. Jesus put it this way in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, we are part of a great counterculture movement. My UK passport says I'm a citizen of the United Kingdom. Actually, I am now a citizen as you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, of a higher authority. You are a citizen of heaven. We're dancing to a different tune. We're part of a worldwide community focused on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord, bursting with his good news and life. And we are to be light in a dark world. How do we do that? How do we, how do we get that message across? Well, as I've already said to you, it may be that you need on occasion to write to your MP or whatever. But you know, it's not what we say. It's actually as much what we are, what we do. And so I've got four little things about integrity. Integrity in the people of God. And just turn to your neighbor. I'll give you a kind of little definition. But, but integrity is a word that we've probably all heard of. We may not be entirely clear what we think it means. So just turn to your neighbor. Say, what does integrity mean? Just remind me. 
Let's just make sure we're on the same page. What does integrity mean? Okay. Integrity. Integrity is honesty. But it, it, it's more than honesty. It's, its actually root is wholeness. It's not just doing, being honest in one thing. It, it's, it's, it's a condition. It's, it's a way of life. And that fits in rather well with this whole business of us being temples of the Holy Spirit. Carrying God's Spirit within us. Him working healing and wholeness in our life. You know, many of us are... Have you know dysfunctions and wounds and difficulties which God is at work on? But actually, it's more than that. He's not just fixing us up; He's fixing us together, building us into a community of salt and light, a counterculture. There's this sense of wholeness, as I said. It's about not being deceitful, not being you know clever with the truth. Playing it so that actually you haven't broken the rules, but it leaves a funny taste in your mouth. You know, I don't know how many times this week, and I'm sure you were the same, where I, I heard a politician say, well, I did, everything I did was within the rules, but it leaves a taste in your mouth. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the resignation of the speaker, Michael Martin... I, Yes, I can understand why that was necessary. It took me a while to get my head round it. And the cartoonist in the Telegraph, Matt, had a wonderful little cartoon where there were two politicians stood in front of the Houses of Parliament. One turns to the other. He says, as soon as I realized what I'd done, I knew the speaker had to go. I mean, I ask you. You know? So integrity is, is more just, it, 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 there's something very wholesome about it. So four things that I want to say to you about integrity, and I'm going to hope and pray that you ask the Holy Spirit to work integrity in your heart. And, and in my view, and what I'm really wanting you to hear in this next ten minutes on integrity, is that it stands alone. As followers of Jesus, we should hold fast. I'm going to give you four reasons why we should do that. To integrity, regardless of what the rest of the world is doing. And that excuse, well, everyone else is doing it, simply does not wash in the kingdom of God. So integrity then. First of all, it honors God. Did you notice how Nehemiah said to the, the, the um, rulers, he said, you know, don't you fear God? Twice he says that. You should do this. Don't you fear God? What will the other nations say about us? You know, the other nations, the other communities, faith communities, say all sorts of things about Christians because they do not see us behaving in a way that they think is conducive or appropriate for a community that claims to serve the one and only living, holy, righteous God. There are questions out there. This terrible, damning report about the Roman Catholic Church, the religious institutions in Ireland, and that's only the beginning, believe me. I, 
my son-in-law comes from an Irish Catholic family. There's a lot of anger and heat there. This is the, the, this is the tag that the church of Jesus Christ has got. It's got to stop now. We've got to start working on this integrity. Not because they said so or I said so, but because God is watching us. Because it honors God. He stands outside of politics and state and community and all the rest of it. He stands over and above and involved in. And it's time for, the, for, for God's sake and his reputation and because of the fear, a healthy fear of him, that we began to, to walk and aspire to, be, to have integrity in our dealings. The second thing I want to say about integrity. Integrity builds community. And a little verse, there could have been many, Romans 12, 5, etc. But I picked out this one, Ephesians 4.3. And Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort... To keep the unity of the spirit through a bond of peace. Now you may not have immediately thought of this as being directly opposite. But note that make every effort, every effort, whatever the context, whatever the scenario, whatever the situation, whatever the mitigating circumstances, whatever the, well everybody's doing it. Make every effort to build, to be a builder of the kingdom. To build unity. Amongst the believers. To build unity in the church so that the world can see the church. And as it said about that city on the hill. That they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. You see the way we do business with others is observed. And as we build each other up. And as we speak in love. And as we care for the refreshment team here. You know some of our refreshment team have been burned recently. I mean that metaphorically. Not by... A hot tea urn. But some people have treated them, and I, I've been saddened by the response. I've been treated them like they're some skivvy in, 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 you know, some, well, we shouldn't even treat them like that. But these are volunteers. These are your brothers and sisters. Don't treat them like they're some washer-upper at BHS. And don't treat them badly either. But you know what I'm saying? Some people have been very short. We found one of our volunteers in tears in the middle of the kitchen because some harassed mum, okay, she was harassed, spoke very harshly to her because there wasn't a donut for her little Johnny. I mean, flipping heck, come on, guys. Every time you see a volunteer out there, remember it, it could and should be you. Clap them on the back and thank them. Look them in the eye and say thank you. It's, it's a principle, isn't it? Yeah? It's a principle. If we start doing this, thank you. I don't want to hear about any more tears in the children, because the children's um, resignation people were given a hard time because they weren't being quick enough. I don't want to hear about car parking stewards being shouted at because it was inconvenient to go and be redirected to the focus car park. Please. 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 Family, come on now. It builds community. Thirdly, integrity is a gift to our children. Next screen, please. Thank you very much. 
Integrity is a gift to our children. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says this, The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children, blessed are his children after him. You know, it's, it's so funny. Those of you who have, pet, have children, those of you who are you know, younger, maybe have uh, nephews and nieces, kids are extraordinary. They just sort of mimic and copy and pick up things. You know, we're, we're, I keep saying this, I'm sorry, but we're enjoying our, our granddaughter, River. We see her a lot, and she's playing at being a grown-up. And uh, she found amongst our junk a little purse. It's just a purse that this had cast off. And uh, she picks this purse up, and she's absolutely thrilled. You know, she's got some... It's often the way she's got some expensive toys, but she's found some bit of junk, really. And she opens this purse, and she's pretending to take money out and give it to people. And then she's taking money, and she's she's mod, she's mimicking what she's seeing, modelling. Now, if when you take the kids to school, you're cussing and swearing at the bus driver at f- the f- in front of you, or frustrated by the quote unquote, well, let's let's say a f- it's a fella parking is his Chelsea tractor, and you can't get by. You know we, know, we all live in this world, and I must say, I suck my teeth. I'm very relieved my kids aren't in the back of the car now. <laughs> but our kids sit in the back quiet, because, they, you know, mummy or daddy's in a bit of a tears, and they, they've learned to just keep quiet at times like that. But they watch. They learn how to deal with people. They learn how to be an adult when under stress. And if you're, if you're pulling fast ones and if you're wheeling and dealing and that gets talked about at home, sometimes with a sense of victory and achievement, got one over on him, the kids listen. Don't really understand, but they get the, the sense of it. You see, if you train up kids, the old Jesuits used to say this, I said, give me a child for the first seven years and I will give you the man. There's truth in that. If, there's, if your household is based on rock rather than sand, if it's a household of integrity where you speak the truth in love, where you don't avoid confrontation, you, you, you call it what it is, but you do it having pondered and prayed rather than just going, Rah! the kids will learn how to do that. The children of a house where integrity is a pillar are blessed. That's what the word of God says. And fourth and last, integrity is a gift we give ourselves. You know, I have found over the years that when I've behaved in a way that is perhaps a little, well, I, I, I use the phrase, it's not very classy. And it happens from time to time, yep. It bothers me. Because, as Fliss will tell you, as a young man, I, I had a right old temper and I, I would complain and confront and get into all sorts of... It was just part of where I'd come from and what had been modelled to me, no doubt. And uh, I used to take pride in arguing my corner and getting my way. But as I've gone on with Jesus and as, his, as he has established his presence within me, that Holy Spirit temple within me, 
I have found it bothers me if I overstep the mark, if I take just a little bit more than what is reasonable and right, if I, if I, I savor the, the destruction. And I've started doing something, trying to do something as I've pondered and prayed. When I get very into a very difficult situation, the Fliss will tell you this is right, I now am very measured. Curiously enough, some people find that even more threatening than me waving my arms about shouting. <laughs> but I have found, if I go to somebody in a dealing, a business dealing, you know, somebody who's trying to, done a bad job as they've done some work on a house or something, and I said, I'll ring them up, instead of screaming down your, the phone and saying, get your sorry someone some round here, which is a script that is all too familiar to me. But if I ring up and say, hi there, we have a problem. I don't understand. I wonder if you can help me. What's your name? I find that that works just as well. And the, the thing that works for me in it is that I know I haven't taken a pound of flesh. I haven't used it as an excuse to vent my rage, my disappointment, my frustration with life, you know, my issues with my mother or my father or whoever else. But I, I've begun to realize that if I keep that integrity, that center, we end up being in a win-win situation. Not only do I often find I get better service as a result, but I also find that I leave the person I'm dealing with feeling that they did their job today. You know? That they did a good job. That was a satisfied customer instead of the toe rag that's usually shouting down the phone at me. Integrity is a gift we give to ourselves. It's a way, it, it, and it is, you know, the whole world can be going mad. Everybody else can be saying, well, everybody else does it. But if you do it because you believe and know it's the right thing, you come out of that feeling more whole. Feeling like you, you didn't sell out. Feeling like you can walk with your head held high. It's a gift you give to yourself. Psalm 84 verse 10 puts it this way. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know, are you a man or a woman can, who can hold your head up high? Because you're not nagged by feeling and sensing that you blew it, that you didn't handle that very well, that actually you're playing the system and you, 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 you've got a divided heart. You're one thing at church or one thing with the friends down at the golf club or one thing, but you're something else elsewhere. You know, it's a gift yourself. So four things. Integrity honors God. Integrity builds community. Integrity blesses our children. And integrity is a gift to ourselves. And if the people of God will aspire and pray that the Holy Spirit will work integrity in them, you will find... Like the old Quakers found, and 
Those of you who know your vineyard history will know that the vineyard movement was actually, believe it or not, originally birthed out of the Quaker movement. But the old Quakers had the reputation in the 18th century and 19th actually of being good and fair and honest business people. Good people to do business with. Everybody wanted to do business with Quakers, whether they were Quakers or not, because they knew that they were honest, straight dealing, and fair. You couldn't pull the wool over their eyes, but you would get a fair deal. And somewhere, somewhere, somewhere in this country needs to make a stand and start modeling the community we want this nation to be. Let it start in the church and please, God, let it be here too. Let's all stand.